Hello, and welcome to Sideways. This week, percentages. <coughs> right, we're rolling. Well, it's nice to be back around the kitchen table. No, it's not the kitchen table. It's, it's the dining room dining table. table. Yeah. It's nice to be back around the dining room table again. Mm. Um, what are we going to chat about today? Any ideas? I mean, it is... I don't know. Have you got anything? I, well, yeah, I have. I have. I want to give you the chance first. To... No, no. Right. there's nothing that's particularly pressing on me so you want to react you far want to re- away you want to react to what i've got to say okay yeah. well, what i want to talk about this week is percentages right does that mean anything to you why not they are not really yeah yeah of course quite, yeah. yeah okay um I, I suppose it's not just percentages but it's the uh, the perception of those percentages and it, it's i wonder if, if i can i'll just recount a, a bit of a story that uh, that i'd heard well it's actually direct from the guy in, in one of the groups that he was, he was talking at at one time. Mm. And I'm still not quite sure, right now, even, even to this day, whether he was whether he was being very clever in what he's telling me and was being sort of uh, covertly disruptive, yeah. or whether he actually meant what he was going to say, because he was a... I think he, I think he was cleverer than he made out. Okay. But it was quite funny at the time, um, and the reaction in the group was quite funny. So I just want to just run this by you okay. and see what you think of this, okay? Yeah. Because it was a, a bit of a strange run. Uh, this chap, he had come into groups and he was on what they call uh, a DRR, which is a, a drug rehabilitation requirement. Yeah. They now call them other things as well. There's ones specifically for alcohol and that sort of thing. But it was a, a DRR he'd come in on. And so he was a lot of people that come into groups under DRRs They've got obvious addiction problems, but they're being forced to by the courts. Yeah, they're being forced to go and address those those problems. Yeah, which part, we've discussed part of, in the past never works. We have, and and this was one of those guys where, well, when I say it never works, it's very rare. It's very rare. We get one or two have come through over the years where they've come into groups and actually taken to it and thought, actually, this is not a bad idea after all. Mm-hmm. I am getting some value from this, and I can see there is a better way of life than what I'm, I'm doing at the moment. So it's not, we would never discourage people that are on DRRs or any other court-driven um, reason to come to, to our to our groups because I think there's still value in it. Yeah. But there's also value in what they've got to say as well and their perception of of, 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 uh, of their addiction and, and how other people are dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So no, it, it's not a it's not a big, big success rate. But this particular chap coming in, he was a funny guy, I really liked him. He was, he was, a, he was a very cheeky, likeable sort of chap. But which is why I'm not quite sure whether he was he was just um, being I don't know just being a little bit um, just trying to be a little bit funny or whether he was actually being truthful about this. But what he told me was he said uh, when I was running the group at the time and I said you know he introduced himself and I was going over what um, what his problem was and he said he was on a DRR, which he said I can't really understand why why I'm on it. I can't really understand because I don't think I've been that bad a person. Right. And I said, oh, okay, you know, what's, what ha- if you don't mind saying, you know, tell me what, what, what happened. He said, well, he said, I've, he said, he said, let me put it this way. I've been out into town with my mates, having a few drinks, probably, he said, at a rough estimate, probably, I don't know, two and a half, three thousand times. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He, he said, and out of that, I've only ever, I've only been arrested 37 times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I said, "Well, okay, yeah, well, that's it's it's quite a lot." And he said, "Yeah, but percentage-wise, you know, that's not that bad, is it? I don't know what they, what all the fuss is about." And I had to sort of think on my feet, and I said, "Well, 
I, I, I suppose, you know, I can understand where you're coming from, but, you know, I've, I've known, and we know that the statistics show throughout, throughout a lifetime, and I had to pick a figure out at this time because I wasn't sure of my grounds, and we probably get to know or have um, some sort of interaction with up to around about 30,000 people in their lifetime. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. If I've looked it up since, and it could be considerably higher than that. Mm. And I said, so if I got up in front of the judge and said, look, I've known 30,000 people, and I've only murdered one, Mm. Is that okay? <laughs> so your argument is that it's more about severity than it is about frequency. Um, no, well, no, I just think that um, you know he was looking at it and thinking that thirty-seven times getting arrested out of two two and a half thousand trips out is not that bad. Yeah, and he felt that wasn't really something that the the court should have got all that fussed about. All right, is there a more so so is there a more um, <laughs> is there a more significant uh, subtext to that which is I mean did you feel that he didn't recognise that he had a problem that's what I do I, that, that's what because he he could be quite disarming with his charm I wasn't ever, wasn't ever quite sure but I think it was, it was he genuinely thought that he was being a little bit hard done by um, and he was coming he's he probably by his own admission he was coming there to get his get the box ticked he'd come to groups and he was going to go back out drinking again as soon as he left yeah but again I don't know because he he didn't come back, that's for sure. After after he'd finished his six week course, I don't know whether he he did go back out drinking or whether that was just something he wanted to say, or whether in fact at the end of that six that six weeks period he did in fact end up going to jail. I'm not sure what happened on that one. Right, but it was. Um, it sounds as if it would have been quite surprising if he had gone out and led a teetotal life I'd, I'd be very surprised yeah. I'd be very surprised it, what impact did that have on everyone else in on the group, group? well I, I had to quickly move on because at that point it's almost if, if, if he's saying well, it's, it's going to be okay to drink <laughs> I'm off out mate but I think a lot of people did see that being arrested 37 times as a consequence it was, they're all for drunken disorderly and bad, bad behaviour whilst under the influence they saw that probably wasn't you know if he if he did go back out it wouldn't be long whether he's he's, he's going to be arrested again and probably back in jail so they could see it was leading to a to a life of of, uh, of constant crime so i don't think that there wasn't too negative an effect on the group but we don't really like people coming in that that aren't striving for abstinence but it takes all sorts and sometimes it just takes a while to filter those people through the system and you get the people that do want to take it seriously come out the other end yeah, because thinking about um, any sort of destructive behaviour in terms of percentage you could probably you could probably justify pretty much anything can't you so you know if you look at the sort of destructive behaviours that someone gets into through their abuse of alcohol or their yeah. abuse of drugs or their gambling there might only be one or two significant destructive events that have happened in their life, but yeah. they might be catastrophic. So applying a percentage to that really doesn't make any difference, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't tell the whole story of the No, of the it doesn't. Problem. No, it doesn't. I, mean, it, it wasn't a, I don't think it was a defence of how it stood up very well in court, <laughs> that's for sure. Do you, think he, do you think he might have tried that in court? I don't know. I, I think his defence lawyer would probably have argued against him using that. Or sure. suggested that it probably wasn't in his best interest. It interests. wasn't in his best interest. But I think it's quite it's interesting. If he was being serious, his perception towards towards events and how other people's perception towards those same events were quite different. Yeah. What you can remember is that some of the people that come into groups, 
Um, you know, a lot of people won't have, have criminal records or don't um, have periods where they've been locked up or have, have, have been in trouble with the law at all in some cases. So those people would have found that quite shocking that to get arrested 37 times. But I think it, folks, if he'd been out 37 times and been arrested every time, um, it would have been a problem. But if he'd gone out a thousand times and been arrested 37 times, he'd still been arrested 37 times, you know what I mean? And that's, that's really where the focus, you try to shift the focus away from that. So it's, to be honest, it's shifting the focus is very much a, an addict's way of dealing with stuff anyway. Well, well, go on. What do you mean? I think that um, we, we try and shift the focus away from ourselves all the time. Yeah. Um, I know when I used to, when I first went to some AA meetings before I'd even gone into, into recovery, so I was still drinking, I would go there and look for someone that was drinking more than me. Ah, uh, yeah. And, I'd, and so I could then, I could, so, so my perception was then, I can't be an addict because... Mm. There's, uh, there's there's people a lot worse than me. So, well, well pe- I, people say people say that to me all the time when when they come in with addiction problems. They'll say, "I know I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink in the morning," you know, okay. or "I know I'm not an alcoholic because I don't <clears throat> drink every day." Mm-hmm. And you know, you know that there's a kind of there's a real um, there's a real problem with that argument. Yeah, yeah, there? very much so. Because again, you're. It's a bit like the percentage argument. You're only looking at the part of the story that it suits you to look at. You know, the fact is, if you, even if you don't drink every day, if you go out and get slaughtered on a Friday night and you're on a bender until Monday morning and you end up causing all manner of havoc, you have got a problem with drink. So what do you say to these people? Just just interested. What do you say if, people, if someone comes into your... So someone you've met for the first time or meeting for the first time, they come, they come in to see you and they say... I think I've got a drink problem or a drug problem. Mm-hmm. What, what do you say next to them? I say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, I mean, that might seem like a, a, a very sort of um, a, a kind of ridiculously insipid response. But actually, in, I think what I find is that when people are offering you that information, the one thing they don't want is an extreme response. I, I was going to say <laughs> because I'd imagine that um, by not by not making a big deal out of that, you're not making a big deal out of that issue. I mean, I, I, you tell me. I mean, is it unusual if someone would come in with that as an opening gambit? Would they ever say that from the outset? Yeah, some people do. I think what people are more likely to do is they're more likely to come with a particular problem: uh, anxiety, relationship difficulties, anger. And then in the telling of their story, it will be often thrown in as an aside. Oh, I think I'm probably drinking too much, you know, and I'm probably doing a bit too much Coke yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, <clears throat> some people will come, some people will be very open about the fact that they feel like they've got a dependency on something and they want to talk about that. And then they'll, it kind of reverses and then they'll talk about the other th- problems that they're having that they are in their mind, um, connecting to the addiction or the dependency or whatever. So I think people tend to venture into that area in lots of different ways. But as I say, the thing they they don't want when they feel as if they told you something that they might feel ashamed of or guilty about or, you know, worried about in some way, they don't want you to say, oh, tell me all about it or, no, I don't suppose you're an alcoholic or, you know, they don't want that. They want, 
neutrality yeah, so that they have the kind of space to be able to um, to tell their story. That's, that's your perception of that, I'd imagine. You know, I don't know how they would see that. I mean, I, I, they would see it. I mean, if, if I was going to someone like yourself and I had a drink problem, I'd be, I'd be wanting to go to see someone like you so that you could cure my addiction problems. Do you get people come in that say that? Because yeah. early on, that's what I would have thought. Okay, well, can I get back to just being a normal drinker by a bit of psychotherapy? Oh, yeah. People often do that. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, people often do that, and actually, so sometimes people will come and they'll they'll want that. Sometimes people want to be told that they don't have a drink problem. Yeah. I mean, that's quite common. Uh, and although I don't do so much of it these days, when I did more hypnotherapy that was a classic yeah. I wanted to come along to be kind of can you hypnotise me not to want to drink anymore you know like I'm some some sort of Darren Brown and, <laughs> you know and, and then they, they worried that I was going to make them you know clap like a chicken yeah, or, exactly. or eat, eat an on, onion uh, thinking it was an apple yeah well that does scare me all that I'm yeah, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can understand their reticence about that certainly yeah. but do you ever get people I mean I'd imagine that the, the hangover from at one time, hypnotherapy was a great way to give up smoking. And I'd imagine, you know, that a lot of people thought, well, if I can be hypnotised to give up smoking, I can be hypnotised to give up drinking. Where, where do we stand on that one? Well, to me, they're kind of, their roots are fundamentally different. In fact, I, had, I can remember quite recently having quite an elongated Twitter argument with a guy who was a hypnotherapist in Canada and made great um, play of, you know, trying to get addicts into his clinic to cure them with his hypnosis. What? Now, yeah, I mean, I, you know my things on yeah, that. Yeah, I, well, I don't, I believe that's unethical practice. Uh, we share those views, certainly. Because I think with addiction, there are always kind of deeper rooted reasons why someone has developed that dependency. It's not quite the same with smoking. You know, when you start to investigate people's reasons for smoking, although people's reasons are always different, they tend to centre around the same sort of stuff. It's like they feel like it's a way of relieving their stress or dealing with you know emotions that just feel a bit uncomfortable. There's a big difference between that and I think what people are doing with addictive behaviours like drinking and uh, taking drugs or gambling, where they're actually trying to um, either fill a hole that they have in themselves or they're trying to block out great... Um, swathes of emotion yeah. that they just yeah. don't have any way of of dealing with and I think that's the kind of fundamental difference between the two I mean it's interestingly you know if you, I think when you go into uh, to rehab if you are going in for detox for drugs you have to not drink as well right absolutely yeah. and vice versa yeah, yeah, you're so still allowed to smoke aren't yeah you? you are you are and it's exactly right because i know if you look at the percentage and going back to the percentage thing we were talking about right at the top of this uh, podcast percentage wise if you look at the uh, society at the moment we know that the smoking percentage or the percentage of the population that smoke is, is dropping quite significantly and it has done over the years we know that it's net down below 20 percent now and it's continuing to fall and when you look at the amount of people that, that are in addiction uh, in recovery that percentage is nearer 80 percent which is an incredible difference um, and it, it's, it's quite strange because we see this all the time and we did do a little bit of research on that as to, to, to the percentage being that high so I can, I'm quite I can, I can say those things quite categorically because we did a bit of research on them and, 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 and talked to a lot, a lot of people about it because we, we were quite concerned, and certainly I was concerned because I was still smoking when I went into recovery, that you do all the hard work 
getting yourself straight in the in the head and straight in the mind and, and you're getting yourself your health is starting to, to get better you've taken away this real toxic thing out of your life without the, the the alcohol and the drugs and you're continuing then to put your health at risk by smoking mm. and that um but a lot of people in recovery um they they rely on smoking quite heavily initially smoking and coffee is something which um which which you rely on a lot mm-hmm. and i know when i first went on my my rehab course with the kenwood trust it was like a rehab in the community course that i did in the meetings we weren't allowed to have coffee and we weren't allowed to smoke until we was, was off the premises and in our own time but um generally speaking that was i found that was quite hard because when i was actually away in detox they actually had a smoking room it shows you how long ago it was because <laughs> times have changed there they did actually have a smoking room in which you could walk into and you could barely see above halfway up the wall yeah. you know because the smoke used to hang heavily in there but most of the people there's very few non-smokers in, in, in the rehab centre there mm. I mean what's your you, so I'm not sure whether you're saying you feel that, that smoking should have been should be included in do you think it should be included in detox then? no yeah. No, not particularly. But I think it's. It, I think it should be part of. We always say trying to give up everything at once is really is really is really is really tricky. Yeah. You, you tackle one thing at a time. Um, we get a lot of um, a lot of people come in, and and after the first six to eight months of recovery, they're very keen on looking at other aspects of their health. It seems to be around about that time between that and a year into recovery, other aspects come into play. Now we we get some people that may have weight problems either where they've had eating disorders in the past, or in, in fact we've got happy people coming that are overweight, and it's at that point in their recovery they start to look at other aspects of their life. Yeah. So you, we don't tend to in, to try and force them, or force them, or try to, to encourage them to tackle anything other than their specific addiction they're coming in with at that point. Mm. And then you can gradually knock off these other bits as time goes by. You start to take too many things all on at one go, it all tends to collapse around your ears and you'll end up going back to your original drug of choice because you can't deal with what's happening elsewhere so it's possible isn't it that actually where we started this conversation talking about percentages and using percentages in a kind of destructive way yes or a way that fits your worldview perhaps the most valuable use of percentage in terms of recovery is to consider trying to improve one percent every day you know trying to continue on a constant um program of improvement so you know when you stop using or you stop drinking that's an improvement you don't have to do everything at once and then as time goes on you start knocking off the various different parts of your life that you feel are destructive oh yeah very much so very much so i think you know it'd be difficult to to actually pin down what a one percent increase is each day of or progress well, each day but, know, just but, as a as a notional as a notional man i think it, you're I think, being a bit pedantic <laughs> you know, I, I, enjoy, so. I enjoy that to be honest <laughs> <Thank> clearly <laughs> um, i think if you are making progress I th- again going back to sort of, sort of the early part of recovery most people have this 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 little, like a purple cloud in the first, first few weeks of recovery where everything's starting to look rosy and everything's brilliant and you're on a big fluffy cloud and it does start to, start to tail off and, and it does flatten out at some point but I think when you when you get to those points where you still you are you feel you are starting to flatten out it's when you need to move on to the next thing which is exactly when people start to, to look at other aspects that are like uh, giving up perhaps giving up smoking or controlling their eating or doing something else about what's been happening but if their living conditions or their relationship etc it's a great time of um uh, uh, to, to deal with those things 
Yeah, so how far into your recovery was it when you decided to stop eating chocolate buttons in bed? Stop eating chocolate buttons in bed. You're going back to one of our previous podcasts on that one, yeah, but it's a nice one to drag up. I think it was probably probably about that time, actually. Six to eight months in, yeah. Yeah. I would have still lent on chocolate a little bit at the start. In fact, I still do now to a certain extent, but do I, I do. Um, it's Is something a, you want to talk about? Do I do? <laughs> I'm not in the psychotherapist chair, am I right now? <laughs> I, I would. I. I think that um, it's a. It's a very common factor that people that are coming out, certainly off of alcohol, uh, because of the high sugar content in alcohol, you go into recovery and you suddenly stop drinking. The craving for sugar is immense. Um, we get um, a lot of most people come in almost like have secret stashes of Haribo and that sort of thing because there's this craving for sugar. And, and it, that is something which, which does die down. So although I do eat chocolate now, it's nothing like um, the amount I used to when I first went into recovery and suddenly the, the, the craving was overwhelming. Mm. And we, we te- but we do tend to find that. I can understand why that works with alcohol because of the sugar content, but we tend to find that people coming off of opiates, um, particularly heroin, um, do tend to have this, 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 this need for it as well. Haribo is a is a big a big favourite. Yeah, it actually opiates. sounds a little bit like heroin. It does well, sound a bit it? like heroin, <laughs> but it is one of the favourites of your of your, of your opiate user. Oh. Yeah. Do you reckon there's anything in the similarity of name? <laughs> I suspect you're attracted. To I think we're probably looking for something that isn't there, but I like the idea. Yeah. Okay. Good. So are we happy that with with the, the percentage then? Are you, have we? I think that's sort of a, we might have strayed off a point a little bit there, but I think. I think we've come across some interesting things, haven't we? There, I think so. Some reasonable, yeah. reasonable points to discuss. Was, I'd say it was fifty-one percent good. Fifty-one percent good. Okay. <laughs> See you so next week. Does that mean you're a glass half full, man? Does fifty-one percent count as half full? It's just over. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, okay. T- I'm happy with the other forty-nine. We're, we're we're settled on that, shall we? Excellent. Wicked. See you next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. Sideways was created by Graham Landy and Martin Pankhurst. If you want to read more about our work, visit grahamlandywellbeing.co.uk forward slash sideways. You can follow us on Twitter and you can email us to let us know what you think of the show and anything else that you'd like to tell us or if you have any questions you'd like to ask us. Thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, we'd be really grateful if you'd tell someone about it. And we'll see you next week.